Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Crossover Across Time podcast for the first bonus episode for uh, this current season, uh, our second season of the podcast, of course. Uh, before we get started, I'm your host, Karsten. Welcome to the show and or welcome back to the show. Whether you've been listening previously or you're brand new to the podcast, either way, we appreciate you tuning in and your support on the show. Um, again, a bonus episode, so we're going to be doing a franchise focus to kind of get caught up and get ahead with those. We're doing a lot of them over the next few weeks. Uh, quick note on what's going on in the NBA at the current moment. Congratulations to the Indiana Pacers and the New Orleans Pelicans. Uh, they each won their quarterfinal matchups in the in-season tournament, so they are moving on to the semifinals in Las Vegas this Thursday. Uh, so again, congratulations. But otherwise, that's really the big note. We'll talk more about those games in detail on tomorrow's normally scheduled Wednesday podcast. But for now, let's go ahead and waste no more time. Let's jump right into the franchise focus this time for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Franchise focus. All right, hot start. We're already clearing our throat. And we're talking about the Cleveland Cavaliers, of course. This is a a franchise that's been in the NBA for more than 50 seasons, uh, dating back to 1970. Uh, Their overall franchise record is actually below 500, but they've had some some great history in their own right. Of course, they won a championship in 2016, one of the most historic and noteworthy championships in NBA history, of course, for the players involved, LeBron James, the you know dethroning of one of the great regular season teams in the 2016 Golden State Warriors, you know all of that. They've had 23 total playoff appearances, and as far as the team's recent history, the last few years and their trajectory going forward, things look really good. Um, of course, in the years, a couple of seasons following LeBron James's departure from the Cavaliers to the Lakers, uh, they struggled. They bottomed out. They went through, uh, you know, through three or four different head coaches before they landed on a very good one in J.B. Bickerstaff. And uh, since then, they've been able to retool. They've gotten younger talent. They've brought in uh, big trade acquisitions, and they've built a pretty good lineup. Of course, last season, they were 51 and 31 regular season record. That's a winning percentage of 62%, uh, fourth in the Eastern Conference. They were in that top four group. They were upset in the first round versus the Knicks, four games to one. Um, definitely a disappointing playoff letdown, but still great for them to get back into the playoff mix. Um, the previous season, I believe, yeah, they were eighth in the East. They were in the play-in mix, but they were ousted in the play-in tournament. Uh, so this is their first, first playoff appearance since the LeBron departure. So that was definitely great for them to, again, get back in that mix. And uh, you look at the current roster, they're 11 and nine. They're eighth in the East at the moment. They've been a little hit or miss at certain points to start the season. Um, just looking for a little more consistency uh, is kind of the main thing, but talent-wise, they should be very set. They, of course, added Max Struess in free agency this last offseason, who's been a big uh, a big addition. He's been playing well for them. He fits in that starting lineup at the small forward, along with, of course, Darius Garland, the previously all-star point guard, Donovan Mitchell, the all-star shooting guard, Evan Mobley, the rising power forward, and then Jared Allen, the uh, rebounding defensive center. And uh, it's a great lineup. I love the mix there off the bench. They've got a lot of uh, pieces to like. Dean Wade has been nice as a stretch for George Niang. Same kind of thing. Isaac Okoro 
uh, underrated as far as imp- his impact and Karis LeVert, a six-man scorer. They're without Ricky Rubio, which I think is maybe a certain factor to their struggles early on in the season. You know, they were expecting him to be a big asset to the team as a backup point guard, his veteran leadership. Of course, he's been away with the team dealing with personal uh, mental health issues. And uh, again, definitely respect him for being, uh, you know, transparent about that fact. And we're wishing him the best as he works to recover from that and uh, and get a handle on that. But, uh, you know, definitely would help the team at the moment. Um, of course, they do have Sam Merrill and Ty Jerome as some other backup guards, and they can make some some things happen. Tristan Thompson's on the roster, Damian Jones. You know, I think if there's one concern, maybe the backup center type play. But of course, with Mobley and Allen, you can kind of make those guys work having one of them on the floor at most times. Um, you know, they're without a, a 15th roster spot for a standard contract. They have three two-way guys, though. They have Craig Porter Jr., who's shown a lot of exciting uh, play. He could maybe get, uh, if he continues to play the way he, that he's played to start the season, he could maybe get a full-time roster spot. Let's take a look at those stats, actually, for Craig Porter Jr. Uh, he started one game of the 13 that he's played, seven points per game, two assists, two rebounds. Um, and that doesn't, you know, jump out amazingly off the page, but he's shooting 43% from three. He's been efficient. He's had some very nice games, so I feel like he could maybe emerge as a, a regular contract player. Uh, otherwise, they also have a Money Bates, who's exciting as that, uh, you know, <clears throat> potential, you'd hope, a steal in the draft, his unique skill set and size. And then Isaiah Mobley, the twin brother, or maybe not quite twin, but a brother of Evan Mobley, um, another four. You know, that's a great mix. You know, I think maybe, again, the, the backup bigs and then getting Rubio back in the lineup, but they should be good, you know. And I, I think, yeah, it's more just about the consistency and uh, getting acclimated to maybe, you know, Struess in the lineup. He's been their, uh, what, like their fifth leading scorer so far, but he's had some individual games where he's been a leading scorer. Of course, Donovan Mitchell leading the charge, 27 points a game this season, five boards, five assists, two steals. Um, MVP level, if especially if the Cavs were winning more games. Garland is solid. Mobley is solid. You know, you just like to maybe see a little bit more production. Uh, from some of those guys and I'm not sure if it's pace or if it's just you know stagnation in their growth or what exactly the uh, the case would be but uh, it could just there could just be a little bit more but uh, overall you know they've been great Um, I think if you're a Cavs fan you're very optimistic about the future you're very excited about the current team those young guys just continuing to grow and solidify their place I think is going to uh, to elevate their play even further. So they look really good. There's not much more you can say about it other than, you know, getting Rubio back in, um, maybe adding a, another veteran off the bench could be a nice asset, but otherwise they look really good. And uh, that's about all I can say for the current Cavaliers. Let's go ahead and shift our focus into a historic team from that franchise. And we're not going back too far. We're going back to the first stint of LeBron in Cleveland, the 2008 to 2009 Cleveland Cavaliers. And um, of course, the 20, uh, or not 20, the 2007 Cavs, the 0607 Cavaliers, maybe get talked about a touch more in the sense that they went to the finals. But if you look at that roster compared to the 09 Cavs a couple years later, first of all, regular season record wasn't as stellar. Um, again, they did make the finals, but the, you know, LeBron, what he had to do compared to everyone else on the roster. I mean, 
Larry Hughes was an okay scorer. Sadrunas Ilgaskis was getting older. Drew Gooden. I mean, it's not a bad lineup, but it was definitely missing a, some production, you know, some some extra talent, I suppose. I don't know. It's it's kind of tough. You think about the 2018 Cavs and how LeBron had to sort of carry that roster. This is pretty similar to that, maybe even a bit more so. And I don't mean to discredit any of these other guys. They had great careers, but in these particular moments of their careers or, you know, being realistic about their level of expected production compared to their talent level, it was just out of whack. But you look at the 09 Cavs, and I felt like they had a lot better mix. First of all, they were a much better regular season team. They were 66 and 16. And I believe, let me go ahead and sort that. Yeah, that's the franchise record for wins in a season by far. They won 80% of their games. So that alone was certainly worth noting. Their head coach was Mike Brown, the current head coach of the Sacramento Kings. Um, and so this was the early signs that Mike Brown would be a very good head coach in the NBA. Um <clears throat> They were a stout force. Of course, LeBron, uh, I believe, was an MVP this season. Um, what time? Is it? Yeah, I, I'm pretty sure he was an MVP this year. Um, and uh, I mean, in the uh, regular season, of course, 28 points a game, seven and a half rebounds, seven assists, uh, one and a half steals, a block. But then in the playoffs, that goes up even a little more. Um, in the playoffs, LeBron was averaging 35 points a game, uh, nine boards, seven assists, one and a half steals and a block. I mean, just unreal, the the level that he was playing at. But again, he had a little bit more of a solidified uh, supporting cast. Mo Williams, I think, was very underrated. The numbers don't really jump off the page, but his production compared to, say, in like that 07 year, you know, an Eric Snow or a Daniel Gibson, you know, I feel like he was a great fit. He was an all-star this season based on what he was able to do about 18 points a game, four assists, three and a half boards and great percentages. I mean, he shot 43 and a half percent from three that season on five attempts a game. So he was really a little bit ahead of his time. And we know how that is a big factor for LeBron's team's in recent history, having those three point shooters that he can kick it out to, you know, it's a great asset for him. Um, excuse me. Another great three point shooter in this season, Delonte West. And of course, West has been in, you know, the, the media circles a little bit just because of his, you know, difficulties in life after his playing career. But, you know, when he played, he was a very solid pro. I mean, about 12 points a game this season, uh, three assists, three rebounds, one and a half steals, playing like a shooting guard type position and shooting 40% from three on three and a half attempts. So he was playing very well as, as well. Williams and West, I liked that backcourt. Um, and then he had Il- Ilgoska still playing. He was a you know veteran who was slowing down in production, but he was still effective. 13 points, seven and a half rebounds, uh, 1.3 blocks, you know, just filling up the middle. Anderson Varejao played about half the games uh, or started about half of his games that he played um, a solid center as a backup mainly. And then Ben Wallace playing sort of the power forward unique for his career, but still effective six and a half rebounds, 1.3 blocks. And then they had Daniel Gibson still who could score off the bench. They added Wally Zerbiak, um, who was a good shooter. I mean, 41% off the bench. Joe Smith, a versatile player. He could play the three, four, the five, really. Um, could grab boards and could put some points up. 
Sasha Pavlovich was still there as a good shooter. And so they had a really good mix. They had Hickson, um, Lorenzen Wright as a veteran. And this was their most, up to this point, even though it still was heavily LeBron-led, it was a little more well-balanced. And again, that regular season record goes to show that fact. Uh, They swept their first two playoff series against the Pistons and the Hawks. And at this point in time, going into the conference finals, the Lakers were playing well in their conference finals. They had been in the finals the previous year, the Lakers had. And so the expectation was a a Lakers-Cavs finals matchup, LeBron, LeBron versus Kobe Bryant. That was kind of what everyone was hoping for. And, you know, it would have been a very exciting final series, a very memorable one, to say the least. You know, many people would have seen it as kind of a passing of the torch, almost. Um, you still expect in that series that the Lakers would have won, but the Cavs end up getting upset in the conference finals to the Orlando Magic, uh, a two to four series loss, two games to four versus that Magic squad led by Stan Van Gundy, uh, Dwight Howard, of course, a defensive player of the year and an MVP candidate almost with his level of play. They had that they had a game that was really kind of ahead of its time in the three point shooting. So many guys that shot the three efficiently and shot a lot of threes really elevated this team. They upset the Cavs and then lose to the Lakers in the finals, of course. But that being said, still a remarkable squad. And for a standout as they were, they almost get kind of overshadowed by the next year where the Cavs said, okay, let's just kind of continue, but then let's also add a bunch of names. They add Shaq, they add um, Antoine Jameson, they add Sebastian Telfair and Jamario Moon, you know, not quite as big a names, but still. Mm-hmm. They just add guys to, you know, add guys, I suppose. And, you know, Shaq was productive still, but definitely slowing down a lot. This was the second to last season. Antoine Jameson was probably the best of those additions. He was a good, you know, he had some good production and, he was with the Cavs for uh, the next uh, couple of seasons after LeBron left and was their kind of de facto star. But um, it just wasn't the same as that 09 team. It was a pretty special year. It was the the last great, you know, real push. I mean, I shouldn't say last great because that 2010 team, they were still a playoff force. They won 60 games. They lost in the semifinals to the Celtics who went to the finals themselves. So, you know, but this was the best team I would say easily of LeBron's first stint in Cleveland. And of course he goes on to Miami. The Cavs kind of just dwell in the basement a little bit for a few seasons. LeBron comes back and then they build it back up into a finals contender and a finals winner in 2016, of course. So that is the historic Cavs team that we want to talk about. And finally, we're going to move on to our historic player and there's, a lot of great options for the Cavs as there is with a lot of teams as far as notable historic players. Um, The guy we're going to talk about though, has a son in the NBA who's been a very effective and underrated player in my mind in his player. His son is in his namesake. We're talking about Larry Nance senior uh, who was a longtime star for the Phoenix suns and the Cleveland Cavaliers. Um, And uh, a great career, man. I mean, Talking about his uh, his physical stats, you know, he was a 6'10", 205 power forward. Um, sometimes he's been listed as a small forward, but that's a, a kind of a misnomer. I mean, he really was a power forward with rebounding, scoring, and defense. You know, the emphasis there, 
not a shooter, but a effective player. Three-time All-Star in his career, uh, one of those in Phoenix, two of the others in Cleveland, um, three-time All-Defensive as well. And uh, again, the Suns and the Cavs was number 22 for all those seasons, except for one, his first year with the Cavaliers, apparently he wore number six. And now I was trying to look this up to to find this image, because I don't know if I've ever seen a picture of Larry Nance wearing the number six, but that's what's listed. Um <laughs> It's I'm sure out there somewhere it's got to be verified by somebody. Um, oh, there we go. There it is. Number six. This is a picture. They're playing the bowls in this in this image, but he, he did certainly wear number six. How about that? I don't know if I'd ever seen that before, but uh, yeah, for the most for the rest of his career, number 22 and uh, his career averages across 14 seasons. He averaged 17 points a game, eight rebounds, two and a half assists two blocks and a steal. I mean, that's just some great production, not obviously all time great numbers as far as, you know, greatest at that position's history. You wouldn't mistake him for that, but what he should be recognized for is a great career as a, you know, just a great defensive power forward and the athleticism, of course, the dunks, a big factor of what he did. Um, How about these nicknames they have for him on basketball reference, little Hawk, the High Atola of Slamola, Slamola, Flash Nance, Mister Slambassador, and Flying Sun. Um, yeah, that's a lot of a lot of different nicknames. But of course, he not only was he a great defensive player and a great All Star type player for the Cavaliers, but he was a key piece of those great Cavs teams of the early '90s. I mean, you look at their their run during his tenure there. Uh, his first season there, his first, uh, you know, half season he was there. They were able to slip into the playoffs. Um, and then, let's see, what was his last season again? 94. Every season he was there, except one, they made the playoffs. And they made the playoffs for a little bit after he was gone. But he was a key part of that three, you know, that fantastic trio. Him, and Mark Price, and Brad Doherty. I mean, such a great mix, and they had some great teams led by Lenny Wilkins for the most part, and then later on by Mike Fratello, uh, especially in the mid to late 90s. Uh, Fratello was keeping it afloat in Cleveland, but Wilkins especially led them to some very stellar seasons, a couple years where they won nearly 70% of their games, uh, 57 wins, 25 losses in two different seasons. Um so he was a part of those teams and they got as far as the Eastern conference finals in 92, which I believe is a specific team. We talked about on last season's franchise focus for the Cavs, but of course they lost in the conference finals to those Chicago bulls. Um, but otherwise a great, um, great teams. And he was such a great player. And again, the defense, the athleticism, what of what he did. The unfortunate thing is of course the athleticism, was somewhat related to what kind of derailed his career with the injuries. Um, knee knee injuries, he had knee surgeries. Um, and after, I mean, this is a specific note, the 93-94 season, he missed most of that year due to those knee injuries, uh, required two arthroscopic knee surgeries. And then after that knee, it was a uh, it was just one of the knees didn't respond to treatment during the off season. He announced his retirement in September of 94. 
Um, so that kind of just ended his career. But again, he was a great player. Upon his retirement, he held the league record for most block shots by any player other than a center, according to to Wikipedia. Those last couple of points come from Wikipedia specifically. Um, and uh, let's see, how about the trade? Now, it is worth noting the trade that brought him from Phoenix to Cleveland was <laughs> they gave up Kevin Johnson, Mark West, and Tyrone Corbin. And uh, Cleveland's first round pick and second round pick used for Dan Marley and Dean Garrett. You could say the Suns won that trade. I mean, Dan Marley, Kevin Johnson, and Mark West for Larry Nance. It's not lopsided, but the Suns got, you know, an all-star point guard in KJ. They got Dan Marley, who was such a a great fit for what they did. Um, Mark West, a solid center. So, you know, you can certainly see the Suns winning that trade, but for the Cavs, it certainly didn't hamper their efforts to get a Larry Nance. And you wonder if Kevin Johnson would have really had the same opportunity to break out if he stayed in Cleveland backing up, you know, a Mark price. So it worked out well. I mean, he was a winner of the first ever slam dunk contest with the Suns in 1984, just a great career. And of course his sons, as we mentioned, Larry Nance jr is in the NBA now and has been with a few different teams, been very productive. He was with the Cavaliers and of course was for part of that allowed to wear the number 22 um, after it was retired by the Cavs for Larry Nance senior. They unretired it for his son to wear while he was with the Cavs. Um, and his, his younger son, Pete Nance has actually been in the, uh, he's currently in the G league with the Cleveland charge. At one point he was on a, uh, a two way deal with the Cavs, but not at this point. So yeah, overall great career, great player. One of my, not one of my favorites, but I really enjoy Larry Nance and his kind of unique style. Um, And I mean, you look at these block averages from 88 to 93, he averaged 2.6 blocks per game in 92. He averaged three blocks a game playing all but one of the games in that schedule, such an effective, you know, rim protector as a power forward, you know, it's just a slightly off from what you'd expect in the nineties. Usually it's your, your traditional low post centers that are racking up the, the big block numbers. So um, yeah, just a lot of fun to talk about the, you know, him in particular, those teams, especially, but of course we already talked about the 92 Cavs previously. So we'll go ahead and leave it at that. And with that, that takes care of our, our first bonus episode for this season and our franchise focus for the Cleveland Cavaliers. Uh, I want to thank you all for tuning in. We really appreciate your support. If you want to check out our social media on uh, Instagram and Facebook, you'll find us at Crossover Across Time. Pretty straightforward. On Twitter or X, whichever you prefer, you'll find us at X Over Across Time, simply due to the character limit. On all three of those, uh, there should be a link tree in the bio that will take you to any of the other pages, but will also take you to the podcast itself. Of course, you're already listening, but if you're not aware of all the different places we're available to be listened, you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and RSS.com. So again, definitely check those out. We appreciate your support uh, through those channels, and we appreciate your support on the podcast as a whole. Uh, With that, we'll go ahead and wrap things up. Thank you for tuning in. We'll be back tomorrow for our normally uh, scheduled Wednesday show, and uh, we'll go ahead and see you then. Thanks for listening.